It's part two of NBA burning questions heading into Thursday's draft, one of my favorite days of the year. In either part, I'd like to apologize to the fans from Houston and Detroit and Indiana, kind of Portland, San Antonio, Charlotte, and Cleveland. Those are the latter teams we didn't really talk about. Everybody else is covered in these two parts. It's all next. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game and... They're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. Again, a new rewatchables is coming Wednesday night. We did the Untouchables, me and Chris Ryan. Stay tuned for that. If you missed part one, you can go find it. Talk to uh, Kevin Clark, Kevin O'Connor, Raheem Palmer, John Jastrzemski, Big Waz. We talked about uh, favorite things in the draft for the top three favorite players, best wings. Raheem gave us some MVP picks. JJ told us what might happen with the Knicks. Waz broke down Utah's precarious situation heading into Thursday. Part two coming up. Chris Ryan, Joe House, Rob Mahoney, J. Kyle Mann, Sirit Sohi, and Van Lathan talking about Kyrie. But we are going to cover more of the NBA side this time. What's Philly going to do? Where's, where's Bradley Beal going? Could Miami make a play for a big star? Who are the wings we should be watching out for in this draft and who could have played in the finals we just watched? Do the Warriors need to do anything? And again, what the hell is going on with Kyrie? It's all next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. Chris Ryan is here. He's on the rewatchables with me a lot, including tomorrow. We're doing The Untouchables, a half-decent movie that we've both watched a million times. Also a diehard Philly fan. The burning question for you, Chris Ryan. What does Daryl Morey have up his sleeve? What's going on with this guy? He's, he's not going to be static. We know how he thinks. He wants to win the title. He's never won the title. He's never made the finals. What does he have up his sleeve? Let me ask you something. What do you think Daryl saw when he watched the finals? Do you think he saw a team like two teams that were led by multiple stars, or do you think he saw depth? 
Because like I think that's the big question facing the Sixers going into the offseason is whether or not they're going to go hunting for a third star, possibly at the expense of, of crown jewel Tyrese Maxey, or whether or not they're going to try and like basically swap out their depth for more depth for better depth and, and kind of mimic what you saw to some extent the Warriors have there, which is like they could use some combination of seven to nine guys in a much more productive way than the Sixers were. Because like right now, I'm at that point where when you watch the finals, you you had the luxury of having your team in it. But when you watch the finals, that looks like a different sport than the one that your team was playing. And you're just kind of like, I don't know what the roadmap is to that. I say this a lot, but I the finals to me informs every decision I'm thinking about for draft and free agency. If I if you're offering me a guy who can't play in what I just watched, then why am I interested in that guy? You know, you can get gimmick guys that can win you a round or two rounds, whatever. But you're right. It was depth. It was defense. It was two-way guys. It was chemistry and continuity. The irony is, if you don't, if you traded Simmons for something else other than try to do the star model, you probably would have had some of the depth that you're talking about, yeah, right? If you do like Simmons for Buddy and Halliburton, it just yeah. feels like you've got a couple more pieces to throw. You've got like a couple of different combinations to try. Yeah. Well, you can't do that. You can't. The first decision is James Harden. What are you hearing? There's there's all kinds of weird rumors about Harden right now, about um, Philly trying to get him on a shorter deal, about maybe him exploring the free agent studio space. <laughs> <laughs> what, like Brian Wilson with pet sounds? Yeah, he's explored a little bit. There's there's some San Antonio. He's always gotten along with Popovich. He always liked Texas. There's some Houston comeback stuff. No. I don't know what to believe. The Tillman-Harden reunion? Oh, they're back. They're going to hash it out. Listen, if LeBron and, uh, and uh, Dan Gilbert can reconcile, I'm not ruling out anything. My guess is that Philly will sign Harden, but it will not be for the match. I think that it's would be insanity. Opt in and then two years on top. So he and gets it, his he gets his his opt in year, and then I think they're going to do two more years extension. And walk me through the Philly fan base as they react to that news. I think that while I think as long as it's not the full the full five year or the full yeah, f- I guess it would be the five year if he opts out, then he can get the five. I think everybody is like comfortable with it. We made our bed. This is who Daryl traded Simmons for. He he knows Harden better than everybody. We all saw that he had basically five good games in him in the second half of that season. I I was basically on acid after those five games. I thought it was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And then it all fell apart. He was pretty like useless. Maxi became the second best player clearly on that team over the down the stretch. And then Tobias might have usurped Harden in the playoffs. So it's just kind of like it is what it is. It's, it's it just can't be for four years. It can't be that this long term commitment to him. And you're convinced Maxi stays on the team? Unless they go for this Beal deal that weirdly people have divined from Windhorst's appearance on Greeny, where it was like he kind of like laid out a scenario in which like the Sixers were looking for additional talent. And then there was like, it was basically intuited from something Windhorst said that like that was Beal and it would have been Tobias and Maxi for Beal. Tobias and Maxi for Beal. Mm-hmm. Well, I said this on my podcast in February and, you know, I don't just throw shit out on the pod. But I, it's usually like, this is stuff I believe in and I'm saying it for a fact. Embiid wanted Beal. That was always what was going on. And 
you know, the front office was pushing for hard and then Beal got hurt and it's made the decision for them. But I do think there's a Beal and Bead thing. And, you know, I think it's a possibility. I, I just, to me, I don't know. Doesn't that feel very like three, four years ago thinking though? To be like, we're just going to get Embiid, Harden, and Beal together and then we'll worry about filling out four through ten. Maybe we'll get... It's like, I don't, can they even afford PJ Tucker if that happens? Like, I don't even know like where they would get the guys to fill that out. We just watched this happen with Brooklyn. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't want a team that's so top heavy. So you're saying it's like walking into Netflix and being like, I have an idea. It's a show <laughs> about, uh, it's during the tech era and it's, it's like, it's a little like we work and one of the, like, you, it's just too late yeah, at this point. It's the eighties. There are these kids. They found another dimension. Were you guys buying? <laughs> what are you thinking? You guys don't have anything like that, right? I think the three-star thing is is shot its wad for a variety of reasons. I'm with you. I Especially because once you turn your franchises over to these guys, good luck. To some extent, that, I think it's still dictated. I mean, like every, like the, there's like a, a, a popular um, line of thinking that it's like the Bucks would have been in the finals if it wasn't for the Middleton injury. Like you are yeah. dependent on your best players. I'm not saying that like that would make a huge difference, but there's something about going all in on, you know, Beal who has coming off this wrist injury and Bede who's a little bit injury prone, although obviously back-to-back runner-up in the MVPs. And then Harden who's like, we're just not even sure like whether or not he's, he's anywhere close to his MVP level, whether he'll ever approach that again. And just tying up like, what, 70% of the salary cap and three guys like that just doesn't make much sense to me. Well, it should also scare whoever is thinking about trading for Beal is the feelings about the Washington fans, like not completely flipping out that they might lose Bradley Beal, I think is an alarming sign. But and then there was also like, I guess, I guess Stein just reported that Beal like wants to be the Dirk of Washington, which I don't even know if Washington fans are just like, thanks. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> like Dirk actually had success in Dallas. <laughs> I know. That's a weird one. Yeah, Beal, Harden, and Embiid with no depth. I don't know where that gets you with what But I don't know how much different... I don't know how much roster turnover you can get out of uh, Danny Green, who, like, he basically, like, has one year guaranteed left, but it has to be taken care of by July 1st. Well, you could trade him for somebody, and then that person can immediately waive him. So, weirdly, he's a trade asset, even though he... Is that still the... I thought that loophole had closed basically on that. I wasn't sure about that, but I think he has like a little less value, but there's green. They have obviously Tobias and there have been noises that Tobias was like in the Philly papers. There was some talk about Tobias wanting out. Mm. And then there's Furkan who's like supposed to be a, a, a shooting specialist who can't shoot right now. So I, I don't We don't have like a ton of assets aside from 23. They've worked out a couple of guys at 23. I always love a draft pick, but it doesn't seem like Daryl loves loves playing draft picks or loves loves staying in the first round. Where's Dame Lillard during all of this? I don't know. Waiting for Phil Knight to buy the Blazers? Like if you're if you're gonna be flopping Maxine Harris around as a package, wouldn't you wouldn't you have to kick the tires on Dame with that if that's actually a possibility? And just let and say to Portland, go ahead and tear it down and you have yeah. Maxie. Yeah. And if I'm Portland, I, you know, I guess it would depend. Like, how, how good do you think Maxi is? Is Maxi ever an all-NBA point guard? <sighs> on this trajectory? No. I mean, are we sure he can't make it to, like, third team on this trajectory? Could he be one of the six best point guards or one of the six best guards in the entire league? That's tough. 
That would be make him an all NBA guy. Like you're talking like at that point, you're 24, 25 a game. Yeah, you're but probably look where in the he's 50, gone. 40, 90 range. Yeah. I mean, his defense is still an issue, but like I I I mean, like he's the kind of guard that like first of all, he's like a fan favorite. And second of all, it's just like I I I hate selling on these guys so young. You know what I mean? Like for me, it's just like this is kind of goes back to what you would trade Sims for. I would much rather have like younger more interesting guards with like more of a story to tell than like just being like, yeah, we'll, we'll just get hope that Beal and Bead and Harden can, can work together. Or we like Lillard and Harden, like can, can you see those guys ever reaching a defensive effort level of Boston and, no. and Golden State that we no, just that's saw? Like, you're just trying to outscore people. So what are we point. talking about? Yeah. What's interesting about the Philly fans I know, including you is that there's this feeling like, well, Daryl will figure it out. He's one of the best. I get to do this because he made fun of me on Twitter this week. We've been oh, friends yeah, for I a long that. time. Yeah, he made fun of the whole time. Are you going to do, are we sure he's good? Oh, you're fucking A right I am. <laughs> are we sure Daryl Moore is still good? <laughs> are we sure? I mean, the Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook trade is one of the worst trades of the last 10 years. He went, we he know, pushed all on. his chips. He, in the, he had a, he pushed Low- all his chips. a Lowry seasoning up against his head when he made that trade. You know that. <laughs> Did he? <laughs> yeah. Come Maybe on. he liked the trade. Maybe he was fired up by Westbrook. I don't know. No, I'm, I'm having fun, obviously. But his last four years haven't, haven't been awesome. Even the way they played the Simmons thing, leading to like James Harden is our guy who answer all our prayers. Then you get this guy who just physically doesn't seem like he's the same person anymore. Not to mention the competitive stuff with him and the and the match of him and Philly feels like a bad fit. Like if I had to bet, if you gave me like the roulette wheel of Philly bets, the easiest bet would be that this season's going to suck if you're a Philly fan, that it'll be kind of a the season you just had on acid where right. it's like, I feel bad for Embiid. Oh my God, Harden. God, did you see him last night? He was so bad as he washed. And then it's like Harden had 38. Oh, Harden's right. back. And it's just going to be this roller coaster ride. Harden of, cooked the, the magic in Orlando. Yeah. yeah, right. Right. And that's just going to how it's going to go. Not to mention the, the, I don't, it's just a weird fit, the players together. And then what you talked about at the beginning, it's like, does this team resemble the finals I just watched in any way other than that we have an overpowering guy? Yeah. Do they resemble Memphis? Do they resemble like the Heat? Do they resemble any of the teams in the second round? Like, I mean, I, I guess that's the thing that that kind of bothers me is just because that that kind of stuff comes from, you know, the Dylan Brookses on the team and the 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 kind of like the the Bulldogs on the team that I don't know that we really have. I think Thibel was supposed to be that and it, that didn't obviously did not work out. That he seems the safest bet to be going somewhere. Yeah, I mean, Bible. but you have to find somebody who's just like we think that we can fix him, or we think that he we need his defensive activity, and it doesn't matter that he's like a complete zero on offense. Just the bummer the is losing losing Seth in that trade when he was the guy who, out of anyone you've ever had, fit the best with Embiid for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean the first like, the, the guy Embiid's the guy who fit the best combo. with Embiid other than JJ. I will say that I don't know if Seth is like. I would have been interested to see Seth Curry play in the Sixers playoff rotation because it might have, I, I think traditionally he's been a little bit exposed when it gets to yes. the postseason. No disrespect to him, but it's just that just seems to be the case. And he um, was hurt. Yeah, and he was hurt. Before we go, I'm going to have to ask. I'm going to do the Scott Van Pelt. Chris, I wouldn't be doing my job. I'm just a guy with a podcast. I'm just a guy with a pod and a microphone. And I, I listen, I just, I just feel like I have to ask this one question, Chris. Mm-hmm. 
Would you be surprised if there was a Joel Embiid is... Not for another year. And I'm not even going to let you finish the fucking question. It's not... It's going to be another year at least. I don't remember anyone swearing at Scott Van Pelt on Sports <laughs> Center. <laughs> so you think the first Joel is unhappy and he wants to go to the Knicks or wherever that we're a year away? No, that's not what I said. I said we're at least... It's not... It, it, for at least another year, it won't happen. You said, when, you, I'm not, don't put words in my mouth. I didn't say we're a year away from Joel leaving. I have to say it's like at least going to be another year of this. No, from the first unhappy story. When does that y happen? Yeah. Like, what if, what if they're like two, what if they're like two or three games over 500 at Christmas or at the trade deadline? And Sources. it's just sort of like, what are we doing here? Sources and mm -hmm. beat unhappy. All right. Chris Ryan, good luck this week. Hope you make it through it. I feel like I got used. I feel like I I I feel like I came on here. You got to you got Why? to look down on Philly. What do you mean? My team okay. just lost to the finals. We're we're both lost. There was one winner in the in the season, and it was neither of our teams. Look, Bill, I'm just a podcast guest. I got to ask this question. <laughs> See you later. This episode is supported by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. All right, we just talked about Bradley Beal and the Sixers and whether that was possible. Let's go to the world's preeminent Bradley Beal expert, Joe House. Here That's to talk me! About, talk about what the Wizards are going to do. The Wizards are in one of the power seats as we head into the uh, last 48 hours before the draft here, you have the 10th pick in the draft. You're always a trade-up candidate. You have the Bradley Beal piece where if he decides he doesn't want to sign the extension, now it becomes sign and trade central for him. What are we expecting from the Wiz? Um, Bradley Beal is not going to leave $64 million on the table. He is definitely going to sign the extension. And the Wiz might nibble around the edges with that 10th pick and move up if um, Dyson Daniels is there or Matherin is there or move back if somebody wants to offer them two firsts to, to, for that 10 spot. But we're looking at a, another wonderful 39 to 41 win team that is on the outside, <laughs> you know, playing on the playoff bubble where we can't wait to play Charlotte or uh, I, I don't know who, who will be there this year. Um and, and, you know, just run it back. It's been a great 40 years, Bill Simmons. <laughs> this is the Wizards mindset of try to get a lottery pick, but not too high. Try to build enough that you could be have a frisky first round exit where you, you take somebody to six. And then the next year you go backwards and you get the ninth pick again. It, it just r rinse and repeat. <laughs> rinse, <laughs> lather, rinse, repeat, baby. I like where you're picking because I really like that. I said this to KSC earlier. I really like that like eight to 13 range in this draft. I think you're going to get somebody good with that pick. Even if it's like, I really like Sohan on Baylor. Um, Johnny, Johnny Davis, 
Sure. A lot of people like professional score. You've always liked the professional scores over the years. Yep. Played in big games. I like Johnny Davis. Uh, Mark Williams, the center from Duke, might be a little too early. A.J. Griffin is another one who might have a lot of a uh, little more talent than the spot, but it would seem like the most wizardy pick would be the kid from New Zealand who can't shoot. It's a six foot ten, two hundred pound kid. Dang, um, I haven't heard that name. I've heard a he, lot of other names. KOC feels like he's the ninth best player in this draft, but he feels very wizardy to me. Somebody, <laughs> a tantalizing guy with a potential flaw, which in this case he can't shoot. Well, the the Wizards need defense, and so if they can develop a conviction around any of those guys in that 8 to 13 range that can really, 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 really play defense, then I think that's the direction that they'll go. They have shooting in a way. Like, you had that covered with Kispert. Rui showed and improved, you know, in the, in the 35 games that Rui deigned to play for the Wizards last year. Uh, mm. After whatever challenge he confronted, he was able to overcome. Um, he shot the ball pretty well. And so they have still these young assets. Kuzma wasn't horrendous um, shooting-wise. KCP, professional shooter. So I'm not worried about getting shots up from, from, from the wings. They need defense. They need a defensive identity. They need to play defense. It would be great. I thought that was Wes Ensel Jr.'s calling card. Didn't see a ton of it last year, 2015 in, in, the, in the league. Uh, yeah. defensively, uh, Porzingis not known for his defense, but you know, yeah. Hope springs eternal Bill Simmons. Well, the most fun pick for you would be Matherin just cause that would be, you know, an It'd old school a, dog. Well, that would be incredible except he's not going to be there. So it would have to be a trade up probably. Um, cause isn't he in that, in the, the five to eight range more likely allegedly, but sometimes they say that and then the guy ends up Red in the range he was in. I like Sohan for you the most. That that's fine. There's 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 um, plenty of upside there. He's very solid. Um, the timeline for him to be making a contribution um, professionally is isn't as long, right? You don't have to sit and wait for him to develop. So I, I, I that would be wonderful if that's that's the way they go. Okay. So now that we've talked all about this, Bradley Beal. Uh-huh. who I think people will say, all right, he's going to sign the extension and then probably be sniffing around by December and he's going to grab me. the money. My and hands then, up. Correct. Yeah. Agreed. He always gets thrown around in these, you know, how somebody could improve their team, the whatever people are talking about, a big three in so-and-so city, whatever, superstars that are available. Can you do your Bradley Beal thing just for the uninitiated? Why you think to this point, Bradley Beal has not been a superstar and why he shouldn't be thrown in with some of these other guys? Because he's not a superstar. And, you know, his resume reflects it. He is a very talented scorer. He's a good to great offensive player. He averaged 30 points a game for for two consecutive seasons. I think he led the Eastern Conference in scoring for two consecutive seasons. He is, to me, on a, on a real genuine finals kind of contender. That is the Eastern Conference or Western Conference finals. If you're... If you're Ambition is to be in that class so you can have a chance to play for the for the NBA championship. He has to be your third option. He can't even be your second option if you have genuine ambition in that direction because his best, his ceiling defensively is zone defense. Like the very best you can hope for out of him is that he's in a system that hides his inability to really guard anybody at his position one-on-one. -on -one. He gets annihilated by every uh, wing in the Eastern Conference. He can't guard any of them. And that's somewhat, you know, a, a problem 
that is reflective of the Wizards' defensive scheme or lack thereof over the years. But Beal also is a guy that um, doesn't necessarily really want the ball at the end of games. Like there is a reason that if you look at last season, Kyle Kuzma was the guy who was taking the Mm. big shots and getting the big shots and had the confidence to take all, all of that. If I had a dollar for every fourth quarter free throw that Bradley Beal has missed, he's entering his 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 year 29 season. I think this is his 10th season in the NBA. Fourth quarter free throws are to me the among the most invaluable, you know, assets. He in in games like, you know, if you ran all the advanced metrics or whatever, games within 7 points or something in the fourth quarter, he loves to miss those fourth quarter free throws. Free throws that would make a difference potentially in the outcome of of the game. And so, I think he's a perfectly valid and viable third banana for somebody, but the problem is in the inimitable fashion of the Washington Wizards, this tradition goes all the way back to Juwan Howard, Bill Simmons. We love to find a third-rate talent and play him as though he's a super-duper star. Two trades for you. I'm listening. Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and one other contract for Beal. Do I get any picks? You get some picks. Got to have some picks. You want some picks? Yeah, got to have some picks. Got to have... Because that... um, I, I think advances the ball a little bit. Now, you have to have a really strong belief in the idea that you can corral Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero thinks very highly of himself. The sixth man of the year, he feels like he's starter caliber, starter quality. He would be a starter here in Washington. That much I can confirm. But, you know, what what kind of chemistry might he have with the other young players on Washington? And what is the the goal, if Tyler Hero is your best player or your second best player, what is the goal? What's the ceiling for that team? The problem with that trade is I think Lowry has to be in that trade. Oh, God, no. And then you would have to give a contract back and it gets complicated. This next one doesn't get complicated, though. It's just Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris for Bradley Beal. I would do that in a heartbeat. Absolutely, positively. I've been saying it for as long as anybody would listen, I think Tyrese Maxey has the ability. And every Sixers fan in my life says, go F yourself, go jump off a building. We're not giving up Tyrese Maxey under any circumstances. They all believe in Maxey. And that's because that dude has got that dog in him. You mentioned that just a little bit ago. He definitely has it. And all the Sixers fans recognize that. I feel like the Sixers fans think that's too high a price to pay for Bradley Beal. Yeah, I think you would have to throw in Kispert or one of your wings in that trade to even make that a real conversation. But yeah, I for what it's going to cost Beal, it's going to be like what? Because it's sign and trade, it would be two hundred fifty million at that point. Yes, correct. Two fifty four price feels like it, doesn't it? Big big contract for a guy whose uh, best attribute is he was here. <laughs> would you I mean, describe him as game? It's fine. Would you describe him as durable? Well, I mean the the the. Other than he had a wrist injury this year, 40 games, pre running up to this, he has been pretty durable. He has been, you know, uh, decently viable. He did not have the same kind of complicated injury history as John Wall. Can I zag against you on Bradley Beal before we go? <laughs> if you want, go ahead, take a shot at it. I went to that game seven, the AKA the Kelly Olynyk game in 2018. Yes. Which we've agreed never to talk about again for our friendship. 
I thought Beal was your least afraid guy in that game. Sure. And the reason, one of the reasons you lost, other than the fact that Kelly Olynyk was just throwing everything in for whatever reason, was the John Wall was pretty worn out. He played big minutes. He didn't have the backup point guard for him. And the Celtics were just letting him shoot and he couldn't make them. Beal, I thought, was awesome in that game. Or at least that's my memory of it. Um, and then you look at the last couple of years, right? Wall gets hurt. The 20 season just ends. And then we have the bubble. Um, the Westbrook season. He 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 <laughs> played basketball with Russell Westbrook. It was just the two of them. They end up making the playoffs. It's the last successful moment of Russell Westbrook's career as a basketball player. I don't know. Has he been in the greatest situation, I guess would be my my question. Definitely not, but we can't go five years back and say his performance in that series five years ago is is the the true version of him. Four years, four years, four years. Pardon me. I mean, but <laughs> it feels like there's a lot of evidence since then yeah. that that might um, you know play a role and in, in, in play a factor in, in how you think about him and what his contribution might consist of. I just think if you take the pressure off of him by putting him alongside a super duper star, he might be super effective because he definitely. Um, has the skill set. He can get to the basket. He can finish most of the time. He can sometimes, he doesn't, he's not very well respected by the refs, but he's respected mm. enough. He gets some calls. In Boston. Doesn't um, get super duper star calls, but. All right, before we go, you have 35 seconds to explain to people why they should trade for John Wall on an expiring contract. Because he hasn't played basketball in two years. And haven't you watched the YouTube videos? The guy is jumping through the roof. He's jumping through the ceiling. He's got his, his, his bounce back. He's got his spring back. All kidding aside, he's one of the best distributors of the basketball I've, I've seen in my tenure as a Washington fan. He made a lot of guys rich. He made Martel Webster rich. He made a lot of guys who could sit out on the corners. He helped Trevor Ariza get another contract. Over his time here, he was an awesome passer. Go back and look at the the little vignette that Zach Lowe put together. I think it was for Grantland during during his time there. I remember that. Yes, about John Wall as a passer of the basketball. An extraordinary innate sense of where guys are and how to feed them in a way that they're in their shooting rhythm. You can't teach that. And if that if he has any of that, then he's going to be a valuable asset for a team. I think he's a really interesting buyout guy this year. I and agree. Maybe even a trade piece because now people have just thrown John Wall aside like he's nothing. I do think, to me, he makes sense as somebody you could bring in who, if you needed a point guard distributor or whatever, I I think like you I'm thinking who, about him for the Celtics. Like I, if they I got just, him as a buyout. It'd be you amazing. You beat me to it. I was just gonna say, you know who could have used him this postseason? The yeah. Boston Celtics could have used him. They yeah. needed a guy who wasn't going to turn the ball over one out of every three times and a guy that was going to catch his wing players in the position and rhythm that yeah. they, they need to be successful. All right. We're both buying John Wallstock House. Good to see you. Good luck on Thursday. Always. Thank you, buddy. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, a word winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. 
I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60-day money-back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is Simply Safe with two S. Simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. All right, Rob Mahoney is here from an excellent website called TheRinger.com. We are going to talk about two burning questions that are related to each other. Miami and Denver, two teams that I think are one move away from potentially being a finals team or maybe even a champ. Who knows? Question from Miami. How real are their trade assets, Rob? What what needs to happen for them to go up a level? Is it even possible? What do you think? Well, I think a lot of that comes down to what is Tyler Hero's reputation around the league and how does that compare to whatever stock the Heat are going to put into his future? Because we saw in these playoffs, they need offensive creation in a big way. Hero was a little dinged up, so maybe it's not the fairest evaluation of what he can do, but they got to they gotta pull, pull the plug on something here. Like they, they really are in a position of urgency similar to the Nuggets. A lot of pressure to get better quickly just because they don't have, you know, like, like these other top teams in the Eastern Conference have superstars or star level players who are entering their prime, who are in their prime. Jimmy Butler is the best player they got and he's not getting any better than we just saw. And he's got a prohibitive contract. I mean, he's, his, his dollars end up in the 50s, yep. I think, in the last two years. So Hero's contract, he's first of all, he's an RFA a year from now. And yep. he's like, he's he's very tradable. He's in like the four range. Totally. They have Robinson, who I'm sure they're going to try to move. He's 16.9 next year and he's got four years left. So it escalates. Kyle Lowry's 28.3 and 29.7. Um, so the Hero thing, because I agree with you, I think he would be the centerpiece of a trade. I was messing around with the trade value list which I think I might actually post-draft unveil. But I had him in a list. And I don't, by the way, I'm not finalizing this, but just this was the group. And I don't even know what the ranking is. It's just a tier that I think he's in. You tell me if he belongs in this tier. If it's the wrong tier, he should be a a tad higher. DeJounte Murray, Jalen Brunson, Desmond Bain because of the contract. Herb Jones because of the contract. Wiggins, big contract, but delivered on the biggest stage. Jared Allen, Jordan Poole, Fred Van Vliet, DeAndre Ayton, big contract RFA, and Mikhail Bridges, who also has a big contract. Do you think he belongs in the list of guys I just said? I love that Herb Jones snuck in there. Just let's just get him in. Let's just sneak him in. Great contract, great defender. But a lot of the guys you mentioned are very clear parallels for Hero, right? Like like Jordan Poole, you can see column A, column B, they do very similar things. Even someone like Jalen Brunson, who has had his ups and downs in the playoffs, obviously was very great in this playoff run, was not so great previously. Is that him getting better? Is that just like randomness you never really know with some of these young guys? I think Hero's in that same category where he's had some amazing playoff moments but maybe not enough to like bowl you over in a way that if you're one of the other 29 teams, you're just gung-ho to trade your star player for a package centered around Tyler Hero, you know? Right. And the other thing is Riley, I think Riley's post-season press conferences are always illuminating. <laughs> His whole thing about two-way players felt yeah. very deliberate to me. He went out of his way to mention this is a thing that they care about if they want to win the title. And we're just not sure of him as a two-way player. If you go a group higher, 
that's when you get into the group that has like Donovan Mitchell and Bradley Beal and DeMar that's DeRozan, too high. people like that's that. That's too high for sure. Yeah, yeah. But if you're doing a three for one, there's future picks. Yeah. Hero's the centerpiece of it. And you're trying to get Bradley Beal. You're trying to get Donovan Mitchell. I, I think you and I see this the same way. Miami's always up to stuff. Yep. It always feels like a trade that doesn't seem probable for some reason they pull it off. Like even I look back at just the Jimmy Butler trade they were able to pull off. I'm still not positive why Philly even participated in that or wanted to help. There was no other way Miami could get Jimmy Butler, but they did it. And this is what they've done over and over again. I guess if Durant ever became available, which who knows, Miami would be another thing for that. But with the hero thing specifically, I think it's Donovan Mitchell. If he was somehow on the table, what does that trade look like? Let's just say it's possible. What is that? Like, what does Utah want back other than Hero and picks and pick swaps? What else is in it? Yeah, I mean, Hero is definitely the starting point. And I think it's not just that it's picks and pick swaps. It's that if we know anything about Pat Riley, he's willing to play fast and loose with distant, totally unprotected first rounders, right? Like they'll, they'll throw that in a trade for Goran Dragic because they yep. think that he's going to be that meaningful to them. If they think they have a chance to get a Donovan Mitchell, who would be just a fantastic fit with what they have and they could cover for him defensively so well, I wouldn't be shocked to see a kitchen sink type offer in terms of future picks and considerations. I think they only owe one future first in terms of stuff you need to work around. But like they could make that part of the deal really attractive because in terms of players, as you mentioned, it really is kind of like a Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero and then maybe, you know, some some various role players, minimum guys here and there. But Miami doesn't have a lot to give up unless you're jettisoning Kyle Lowry already. Like a lot of their guys are are pretty important and they're important on low salaries, which is why they need to keep them. Or they already have their own guys who are free agents. Like PJ Tucker could walk this summer and they may not have good means to replace him other than just giving him a competitive contract or like trying to work one of these trades for a future pick of some kind. So they're going to have to make sure they can kind of mine their flank and keep the rest of their roster intact, which is why I think the attractive part of a deal has to be hero and picks. Like that is the centerpiece. Well, and then with Utah, Conley, who looks like he's a little long in the tooth at this point, maybe that's a piece of it. Now Kyle Lowry's in it. Sure. Maybe Robinson is in that. And I still... I still like Robinson. I know that salary is intimidating, but that guy delivered on a big stage. And he, there's a chance he just had a bad year and he yeah. got in his head. And there was a couple moments in that Boston series when it felt like he might get going. But um, I just think the team kind of gravi- gravitated away from some of the stuff he was good at. I, I still believe in him. I would talk myself into him. Like I was looking at him for the Celtics for the trade exception, right? If Miami just wanted to dump salary or try to figure out a way where they needed to reroute him somewhere and some sort of reroute him in some sort of trade that they were trying to figure out. I wouldn't be opposed to Robinson because I think that's what the Celtics need. I think they need a score off the bench. And he could be awesome on a team like that. Like on a team that has so many stout defenders where he's the only guy you really need to cover for. And I think, I think Duncan Robinson is an okay defender. It's not a total disaster. I think he's okay. He's still big. He tries. He tries, which if you're big and you try, that's half the battle. He fouls a lot, which is a problem. But let's be honest, like almost all these playoff rotations have a guy or two like this. The problem with Duncan Robinson is that he plays on the same team as Tyler Hero, who has a lot of these same problems. And so if you're going to pick and choose, if you're Miami, you're going to pick the guy who can create because almost no one else on that team can create other than Jimmy Butler. Well, ironically, both of those guys could be in the same trade if they're yep. trying to get somebody big like a Bradley Beal or, you know, let's say Bradley Beal says to Washington, 
I'm not going to do the extension. I actually, I want to go to Miami. Hmm. Now they got to scramble. And if you're Washington, the guy's going to leave anyway. You got to figure it out. So now, now you're talking yourself into Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson and <laughs> another contract and some picks, stuff like that. I'm with you. I think the hero piece, whether they keep hero and trade Robinson or whatever, I don't think they can bring both of those guys back as assets because you, we've kind of learned that the, the two-way stuff is just too tough with it. Let's move to Denver. Yeah. So Denver's assets are a little different. They just traded for a second pick. They got Gordon at 20 million. They have Will Barton as an expiring at 14.3 and they have Monty Morris at 9.1 and 9.8. There's already been stuff out there that they're looking around. They're a little more positioned for a big trade than I realized. They had the opportunity to get Drew Holiday, um, what, a year and a half ago or whatever. And they basically, they could have put together a better version of the trade Milwaukee made and they just didn't want to do it. And then they ended up, they got Aaron Gordon pr for a pretty cheap price when you look back at what they gave up. But they haven't really gone all in. And the problem for them is Jokic, who's a free agent after this year, Porter, Murray, that's it. You're at the salary cap already. So if you want to add one more big piece to that, Gordon probably has to be in that. What else do you see with them? What are, what are the moves for them? Well, I think there's kind of a philosophical question. You say, you know, they have these pieces to go all in. Will they go all in? Like financially speaking, is this a team that's prepared to do that? Because as we've seen in ways small and large, you know, from are we going to convert this two-way guy into a full-time player on our roster to are we going to let Tim Connolly, our president of basketball operations, walk out the door for essentially financial reasons? And if they're not willing to pay, you know, potentially to add salary, to pay big into the tax, to, to behave like a contending team, then I think a lot of kind of the, the commentary and the lip service we've seen so far about being, you know, stewards of, of Nikola Jokic's prime years, that's what that means. Like you have to be willing to pony up financially to make those kinds of things work. And that's where the future of guys like Monte Morris come into question. The future of guys like Will Barton come into question, who Barton's a guy who's been, he's meant a lot to that franchise. And I right. think had a, a very specific and personal relationship with Tim Connolly, who is no longer running that team. So maybe all of a sudden he is available in a way that he wasn't previously. There's all these kinds of like mid-level pieces for them that could be jumbled together into a deal to spring something loose. And that begs the question of what you think exactly they need. And it doesn't seem like they have the Jokic pressure, even though he's a free agent in the air, because there's been stuff out there that as soon as they could do it in July, five years, 260 million bucks. I would say it's a bargain. Yeah. <laughs> At his that'll, age. That'll work. His production. The Porter contract is ultimately what's going to sink or swim this team. Like, however they try to figure out these other pieces. If if he's not going to be able to stay on the floor, that's just a huge miss because I don't think Murray and Jokic and then just trying to cross your fingers on some of the other stuff, it's not going to be enough. I do feel like if I were them, I would be really aggressive. Yeah, I would. I would be trying to. I'd use Gordon, and I'd use whatever other contracts I had and future picks. Because what the next five years of picks, I have Jokic, especially if he's going to agree to extension. So I, I know I'm that. None of those are going to come back to haunt me unless he got hurt. So can I go all in? Can I get a fourth guy for these that's better than Aaron Gordon? Because I don't know from what you saw of Aaron Gordon for a year and a half. Do you feel like that's your answer as the number four guy in a championship team? Because I. That's don't. What that's what makes it so tough is like the initial signs were so great when Murray yeah. and Porter were healthy. And it's like, how much are you clinging to that 15 game sample size or however many games it turned out to be before this guy started dropping out of the lineup? Because when you relieve the pressure on him, 
I think he can be a really good player. But we've seen, especially in the playoffs, like asking him to be a big time creator against good teams. That's too much for, for kind of what his skill set is. And that's why whether it's him, whether it's cobbling together some of these other role players they have, like I think Morris is a guy who is at the intersection of a lot of their questions. Like if you're bringing back a point guard in Jamal Murray who's missed so much time yeah. and you have a young up-and-coming guard in Bones Highland who's going to be wanting more minutes and pushing for more minutes, d- does that make Morris more essential or more expendable? I honestly don't know. Yeah, and I mean, I just lived through it with this 24 Celtics playoff games that I'm going to need, I'm going to need like another month to unwind from <laughs> the stress of it. But man, as it gets, as that series keeps climbing and you go to the next round, the next round, every flaw you have, the teams just pounce on. Grant Williams was a disaster in the last two rounds. Like he was a disaster. Like his stats was rebounding, wasn't scoring, wasn't shooting. Part of the reason was teams were just going, you're just not getting corner threes anymore. You're never going to see one again. What else do you got? Yep. And Grant Williams is like, I, I don't really have anything else. I'm a six foot four power forward. <laughs> you're taking away my quarter threes? Fuck. Um, and I think with Gordon, that's what I think. Like, if you're going to put together four rounds, at some point, teams are just going to go, hey, please, knock yourself out. We're giving you that shot every time. He just hasn't proven he can make it. So more before we go, more likely to make a big deal, Miami or Denver, in your opinion? Miami. I mean, I think Miami is probably more likely to make a big deal on a year-by-year basis than almost any team in the league. Like, they're always in these conversations for one yeah. reason or another. Riley's like, I'm, I'm 78. I don't got a lot of time left. Let's go. All right, Rob Mahoney, uh, thanks as always. We will see you on TheRinger.com and on The Ringer NBA Show. It's as, as a new show tomorrow. Good to see you. Thanks, Bill. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right? At first half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time, that's usually about. 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, Sirit Sohi is here from com. We're going to talk about the Golden State window, which has been a topic at least a little bit after the finals. We talked about a little on our podcast about where this goes for them. How can they extend this? How can they get Steph a fifth title? How can they have another little mini era? What do you What do you think as you look at their team and the construction of all of it? What do you expect from them? Because it feels like they value the continuity so much, it's hard to tinker with that. But at the same time, this is a this is a franchise that is always really aggressive at trying to get better. So what do you see? I can see pretty much everything working out for them, right? Like you have. Steph and Poole, that's pretty much working out. Um, somehow, by some measure, he's become like Steph when he needs to be. Um, which, right. Uh, that, that, that has like player development, I think, uh, I think implications for the future. Like just let a guy shoot and maybe he can actually do that. Um, but and you, you kind of go down the line. And I think what we wanted to talk about essentially was Draymond, right? Um, and they've been able to replace both Draymond and Iguodala defensively. Uh, they've been able to replace the physicality. Like Looney at times in the playoffs was better than him on on the offensive glass. And then Wiggins, Peyton coming in for like the more of the isolation defense stuff. 
But the one thing that kind of sticks out to me is like they don't really have anything to anybody to do the one thing that Draymond does better than everybody else, which is like combine that with his transition ability, with the playmaking, with like just being one of the smartest players in basketball. He's kind of like the chain that makes makes it all go because he can do that unique combination of things. Yeah. And looking at, you know, I think looking at game six, especially, but that last the last half of the Celtics series, that second quarter in game six. That was Draymond Field. That's like two two offensive rebound tips by him. And, you know, transition, outlet, go, go, go. Very few players in the NBA can do that. And that's the one thing where I wonder, I'm like, okay, obviously their cap situation is, they can't really, they can't really add much. Um, and that's the one thing I look at. I'm like, I don't know if you can replace this internally. I agree with you. I was thinking halfway through that series that, win or lose, that might be the move. I'd be wondering if they would have the balls to actually trade Draymond and mess up the core. But the fact that he turned it on like he did in five and six, he it made me so mad. It, all of us in the in the arena were like, really? He's, he's going to start hitting threes and grabbing rebounds and pushing. He looked like Draymond from 2016 again. Mm-hmm. Were you so, like immediately afraid in the in the first quarter when he hit like that that banker coming off of a roll? It was like he never hits that like right angle. It's a really it's a really high skill shot, and it just went in. And I was like, oh no, the focus is here today. Well, and then the fact that he immediately was like, I'm shooting this, which he just didn't seem really comfortable with even the decision to shoot. So yeah, I think whatever Kerr did in Game Four, it worked. It lit a fire under him. He was awesome. So yeah, so he's under contract for one more year. Then he's got a player option for the next one. And I think they stick with this group. Then the big things will be Peyton and Porter. How can they bring those guys back? And then you figure if we're like a super contender, we're going to get one semi-old person chasing a ring that is going to pop over just for the, maybe take a discount for one year to come play with us. And that'll be, I don't think they'll bring Porter back, but in that Porter spot, maybe that's like the 33-year-old guy who's never made it or the shooter or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. they go. The that PJ would be Tucker's my guess. P- possibly, right? He just opted out. Right? P.J. Tucker would be a good one. But he, what did he make? Like seven, seven million plus last year? Yeah, I think he was, I think he was around 7.5. I guess you could, I mean, you probably got to spend that money on Peyton, right? To, to bring him back. I think Peyton has to come back. That was the, I thought as soon as they unleashed him in the series, because I think, what did he miss game one? They lost. Comes in game two and from, it just felt like every time he was out there, their team was complete. And defensively, mm-hmm. I thought he, you know, he just the worst possible scenario for the Celtics and the fact that no, nobody in the team can dribble. <laughs> yeah, it was weird, though, because there was a moment where, we, you know, he came back in game two and then game three, he kind of had low, low minutes and it felt like Tatum had kind of figured him out. And then, I mean, you know, Tatum just seems like ran out of gas and maybe that's what happened. But it felt like, wait, these guys are kind of bigger and stronger and this might be a problem for the Warriors. But then you're right, like he... He, he was awesome for them, but and he's actually the one guy where I look at and I think maybe he's the guy that can internally replace Draymond. He's the closest guy, I think, just because of he has a playmaking history. He used to be a guard, but even that still feels like a bit of a long shot. You know, it's just that like extra bit of IQ and decision making that you have to have. He's yeah. probably the closest, though. Yeah, it's I think they figured out from their Kelly Oubre experience. Everybody that we put with Steph has to have a real understanding for ball movement and what Steph does. And if they can't fit in that, they're out. Yeah. So, yeah. 
and the defensive IQ too. I'm so glad you brought him up because he's kind of like the perfect example for why the Warriors have to be so specific in free agency, regardless of who they get, right? Like whether it's, you know, you're going to go for a superstar or, you know, just try to add somebody as a 15th man. Like they really have to understand everything because you even see with the guys they've been successful with, right? Like you watch Wiggins on the court and, you know, he might, he's not on the court with like Iguodala or Peyton or, or, uh, or Draymond. And, all of a sudden, like, there's a couple backdoor cuts that are being left on the floor. And there's sometimes that Curry's wide open. You're like, get it to him. Get it to him. But he's not going to see that. He can't see the other side of the floor when he's on yeah. one side. Yeah, there's that weird osmosis thing that happens to some of that stuff, too, which I've always been fascinated about with basketball, where if you play with, if you play long enough with people with the high IQ, you end up emulating some of the stuff they're doing just mm-hmm. by osmosis, especially passing and ball movement are the two things that just seem to transfer defense's effort more than anything. And I think most people, unless they're just completely incompetent, if everybody else is trying way harder than them, they're going to raise their thing. But the the passing the ball movement, it's really funny. Like you end up on the wrong team where everybody stands around, you end up standing around. And you end up move. everyone's moving. You feel like an idiot if you're not moving, you know? And somebody, Wiggins is like the perfect litmus test for this because Wiggins is Minnesota versus the guy we saw in the finals are like two different people. Yeah, I wonder if it's just a ma- matter of watching the same film over and over again, seeing like, oh, that guy made that pass. Like, I can probably make that pass too. Like, if I if I was watching Draymond over and over again, this is something that they all kind of do, right? Like, Looney figured out how to master the dribble handoff basically, yeah. and, like, rescreen, And then you saw Peyton, like, give uh, give Curry a, a reposition uh, screen after, you know, I, th- I think Curry drove and, drove and kicked, and then Peyton could have taken a three, and then he didn't because, um, you know, Curry was relocating, and that's something that, you know, he lured with Draymond. So, uh, yeah, I wonder if, like, yeah, that, that's, that's really interesting, like, the basketball IQ by osmosis thing. The Warriors are kind of, like, if it exists, the Warriors are kind of the best example for it. It's insane yeah. how much this team, like, on the, you know, even like their bench can look like pretty much just a little bit of a worse version of their starters at their best. Right. I, I The first time I thought about this was the 80s because I thought McHale and Worthy on the Celtics and Lakers are two people that if they had just gone to normal teams, I don't think those guys would have been passers at all, especially McHale because McHale was like a black hole. But if you're just with it every day, you start seeing the angles the same way and you realize like, Oh, if if I'm going this way, then then this will be open, and and it just kind of opens up to you. And watching in person the way they moved for Curry, I've just never seen anything like it. It's like they had like almost a form of a cheat code. He'd give up the ball, and they would immediately go know the spot he was going to go to three seconds later, and they would just wait for it. That one pass, when Curry hit that three when he touched his finger for the ring in the third quarter. I, did you see Coolest the pass? moment ever, the, by the way. Well, not, not, for, not for us. We were pretty <laughs> miserable. Draymond threw a pass and it was like, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to describe it. He was dribbling up and Curry was behind him and he just threw a bounce pass to this open area and Curry came up and caught the bounce pass and shot it. But that's like, that's to me, that's nine years together. And that's so going back to what they're going to do this offseason. Every per, every piece has to just fit into that because that's their biggest advantage. Now the league's going to be better next year. The West is going to be better. Um, I you know in a, in a lot of ways this was just a became a super wonky year with all the injuries and teams that were either a year behind where they should be or a year past where they should be. Next year's going to be much harder. 
Yeah. Maybe Wiggins development is a little bit instructive as well. Like who is the dream on toiling away on a small market team or on mm. like a, on a bad culture team that you could turn into the next great playmaker. Cause that's yeah, a that, skill that I think that unless you're on a good team, it doesn't really get unlocked. Right. That's a tough one. I, I think you think of like Draymond in 2013, where he was basically, we considered him the same way you would consider like Grant Williams now. He's just like, oh, he might be able to hit a three and he's a good defensive player, but he's undersized and that's it to the guy he, you know, became and then the guy that he was those last two games. I don't know if those guys are out there. I think teams have felt like, I think people felt like Aaron Gordon had another level on him, right? And then it turns mm -hmm. out he kind of is who he is. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Grant's a great example of that too because he has some of the ingredients to be kind of like a replacement or like the next Draymond type. But there's also just like, I think he's just a little, he's a little small. And he's well, a and he's also small. not, he's, I mean, he's just really, I mean, the last two rounds were really bad for him. If you go look at his stat, the last two rounds, first of all, he never had more than six rebounds. I was going through this yesterday with a friend of mine because we were trying to decide, would we trade Grant Williams? Okay. Because he's one more year at a contract, pretty cheap. They have this trade exception. They could actually trade him and get somebody back. So we were trying to figure out, would you trade Grant Williams for Kevin Herter? Who would say no on that trade? And, no. and that, yeah, they probably would, right? But you could argue, well, they, they get, if they're doing a series of moves, Grant could replace John Collins. You do a three for one. Bogdanovich gets the Herder minutes. Like there's some path for it. But, um, but the thing with it Grant. It does open them up to make a big deal for, for yeah, Collins. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The thing with Grant is once teams took the corner threes away from him, that was it. Like he had no plan B. He had, I think he had seven threes in game seven against Milwaukee. And then I think he had 10 in the next two rounds total and was just, by the end of the Warrior series, a complete zero. Now, he might have hit the wall. They still need him for a Yana series. He did a great job against Durant. There's Eastern matchups they need him against, but I think what we thought of him coming out of the Buck series versus what I think of him now is definitely lower. Mm. Yeah. Well, how much do you think is that is is development though? Like two, three years from now, could he end up being that guy? I don't think he has the passing. Mm. I, yeah, that's probably fair. And also, that's the hard, that's the trickiest part about all of this. Yeah, right? it, it comes down to that. Yeah, definitely. He, I mean, he could probably be a better three point shooter. I don't think the size thing is a real issue. Like the Warriors were just jumping over him in that mm -hmm. series. It was pretty rough. What do you think about PJ Washington for the Dubs? Yeah, let's say now Looney's come up and as a, as a guy that the Hornets are interested in. So let's say you try to bring him back as a as a sign and trade. So you're trying to keep PJ Washington at like that five million bucks? You trade? Yeah, I think he's, he's still got another year on his deal. Yeah, the problem for giving up Looney is he's he was pretty durable in a couple of those runs. Like he played every single game this season, <laughs> you know. And if I'm if I'm the Dubs, I just like the fact that I know I get 20 minutes a game out of this guy who knows how to play with all my dudes. Yeah. Um, I just think, you know, with their payroll, I guess that's that's going to be the question for the Warriors, right? Like, are they going to go like $500 million in, into, into revenue? They're going to be right? at like, four next year. I don't think like they care. Easy. Easy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it seems like they don't. And I mean, they make more money than any team in the league. And Joe Lacob is Joe Lacob. So maybe they won't care. But if they do, then I look at Looney's kind of the guy that as much as I love what he brought in the playoffs, and there are moments that, you know, without him, I don't think they would have survived. 
does Wiseman just replace him next year? Do you hope that that's the answer? And That would be gotta, my answer. At that point, what's the point of Wiseman? If you're paying Wiseman almost 10 million bucks a year, but then you also have to pay Looney to give you all the 20, 25 minutes a game Wiseman was supposed to give you, then what's the point of Wiseman? Yeah. Um, we have to go. It was good to see you, Sarah. Good to see you too. All right, Jay Kyle Mann is here from The Ringer. You've watched his videos. You've heard him on Upside High with Jonathan Charks. Now we're going to ask you your favorite wings. Do you, do you have tiers for these wings? How, how deep are the tiers? Walk us through it. Give us the wing tiers. Uh, tiers, classifications more. Um, we have some guys that are sort of conditional. I mean, like in terms of like the highest upside, um, I still think that's probably Shaden Sharp, uh, but he's so like caveat heavy. Like, I, I don't know how, have you gotten to watch much Shaden? What's, do you have a take on him or an opinion on him? I, the, he's going to be, he's going to get a GM fired or he's going to get a GM an extension. He's one of those guys. There's just not enough footage on him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I made a long video about him and he was one of the more difficult guys to to watch because it's just like oozing with talent. But the competition was kind of weird. And then he's just basically been a total disaster in his interviews. Anyway, he's the he's the highest upside uh, in terms of like elite scoring capability uh, in terms of shooters. A.J. Griffin from Duke, um, hard to deny his success rate this year. He was 43.2% on dribble pull-ups and 44.7% overall on threes on a team that didn't move the ball super well. Jalen Williams from Santa Clara, a guy that we've talked about, about 40%. Malachi Branham, uh, Wendell Moore. There are guys that, to answer your question in like the broad sense, there are guys that kind of check individual boxes, but the overlaps, like for guys to have like the total, like you've used the, like the car wash package. That's a term mm. you've used fast. Like there's, there's not a guy that has like the total car wash package, but there are guys that kind of uh, overlap and check some of the, the, the boxes more than others. For me, my three that I'm kind of higher on than other guys. Uh, I really like Dyson Daniels. I'm, I'm counting him as a wing because I don't expect him to be a full-time primary creator, a uh, kid from Australia, great size, like um, nearly six foot eight, plays with a lot of great pace, seems to know when to get off the ball well. Uh, Jalen Williams is the, is another guy that, uh, aside from the shooting, what I'm really looking for are guys that can either play high-end defense on one end or run some pick and roll and shoot it for me and make decisions on the other end. Jalen Williams would be there. And then uh, I also, I think I'm higher on Wendell Moore than other people are. The guy from mm. Duke, I think he's going to be able to put it together uh, on the defensive end. And uh, I don't know. I, I just expect him to show up for a team, uh, a decent team sometime in the near future. Do you think we get five Duke guys in the first round? Well, I mean, Williams, yes. Paolo, yes. Wendell's kind of the question. AJ, yes. Um, blanking on the on the fourth guy. Do we... Keels, uh Keel seems like a like a no. I don't think that's going to yeah, happen. Right. It feels like four. Yeah, yeah. So out of the wings, what's applied to what we watched in the finals? So long term, obviously, a lot easier to say, oh, yeah, that guy could have played. What guy could have stepped in that you've seen as a rookie next year and played 15 minutes in the finals that we just watched for one of the two teams? Now, it would have been harder for the Warriors because like Moody couldn't even get time for them. But the Celtics... We're a team that really needed a backup wing. Like that, one of the reasons they lost the series was in game five, they couldn't take Jalen and Tatum out. 
they had to play the whole second half because they were so afraid to put anyone else in there for them. And then those guys wear out and you have all these ramifications. How many wings in this draft as a rookie could have played in that game? Well, for the Celtics, I guess it's a question of can you defend to their level? The guys that are the guys that are the most ready to defend at a high level, in my opinion. Um, I was thinking about this a lot today. I mean, the term wing has gotten kind of foggy in the past few years, considering yeah. we try to go. Yeah. Like, is Johnny a wing? What is he? Johnny is he Davis? 6'4"? Is he a shooter? What is he? Like, do you, does he qualify as a wing? Does Dan qualify as a wing? Yeah, I, I would kind of say, uh, the question is, do you want to include Tari and Sohan? That's the question. Because defensively, those guys can slide up or down better than anybody in the class. I know Charks is a huge Tari Eason fan. Um, he has the most, like, dominant, like, body type skills. Like, he fits the Celtics kind of mold. Like, he could come in next year. Um, if For people who don't know much about Tari Eason, incredible size, incredible athlete, six foot eight. He has like 11-inch hands. He's just one of those alien athletes. Uh, and then if you want to include Sohan, I mean, he's, a, he's another, if you're playing like a four-out, five-out style, you could count him. But physically, defensively, yeah, I'd say Johnny is up there. Um, actually, we, I, I... We think Johnny yeah. can play next year and get real minutes and play for a decent team next year. That could happen. Another underrated guy is Dalen Terry from Arizona, uh, mm. who it was like a really, really disruptive player, had a high steal percentage. Shot about 36% from three. He's a guy that some good team might steal next year. I could see that. How about Matherin? Matherin's a tricky one for me because it's kind of like wings. The, the pattern that I've really noticed within the playoffs is you need to be either like a plus-plus decision maker. Like you're really good shooting the ball. Or you're really good if the closeout. Something I noticed was the teams in the playoffs or the teams in the NBA this past year that they were what that were the most productive when a player attacked a closeout and then made a pass like eight of the top 10 teams were like legit playoff teams so that told me like if you if you were a team that doesn't have I know you're shaking your head like the Celtics would you say that that was like a, a thing that plagued the Celtics? It really seems like. I was just getting like flashbacks yeah keep going sorry <laughs> <laughs> like my body I flinched no, I mean, Matherin is a guy who could shoot the ball. I question the defensive upside and the playmaking. Those are things that I kind of like uh, more than other. I lean philosophically in that direction. Um, yeah, I mean... Well, he's been a that, big... He's been a really successful workout interview guy. People love him. I mean, I, I, yeah, I know, like, people really love his attitude. And I, that's something that, that I think people underrate is kind of like, we look at kind of what guys are and when we're thinking about where they need to be, the NBA is just like such a like mentally demanding game today, aside from the physical stuff. Like the guys that are in the series, if you look at the Celtics, those are all really bright, like curious guys. Like it's such a complex game that moves fast. Um, I like Matherin on that front. Yeah, like, I mean, I think that he fits that mold, like somebody that's going to work and get better. Yeah, I was watching one of the finals games. I was there super early. I was watching the Celtics shoot. It was like the kind of the guys who don't play that much were out there before like the the best guys come out. And Neesmith was out there and he was just shooting threes and they most of them weren't going in. And you could see just the look on his face and his demeanor. He was just like broken. Like he had just lost his confidence. I still believe in him, but it's so tough with the with these wings in these situations where in certain cases, like the Memphis guys, 
those guys, for whatever reason, they, they've been able to figure out how to have those guys thrive. Even if their minutes are getting yanked around a little bit, they just, they can get the best out of those guys. And then you look at other situations, somebody like Neesmith, who was really good down the stretch a year ago, and then was unplayable this year. Like they, when they really needed him the most, they, they couldn't put him in the game. And so part of it to me is situation. And then, you know, somebody who's a good shooter in college for, for sometimes it just doesn't translate the same way, right? That extra two and a half feet can be like 20 feet for some of these guys. Yeah, for some guys, they have to recalibrate how fast they shoot. That's an underrated thing about the NBA game. That's something you really pick up on in person that people on TV, I don't think necessarily notice as much. When you're at eye level with these guys, like say you, you can be an incredible shooter, but if you don't shoot fast enough and you don't shoot high enough, even they're like great shooters that come into the NBA and have to make legit adjustments to their mechanics. Um, Neesmith, I think, is just kind of, you get into a, like a possession in the playoffs you know, if you if your first shot's not there, you need to be able to make a dribble and make a pass. And that there might be two, three, four pass sequences that go deep into the clock. And that that takes a player with high IQ and that can just filter some guys out. And I think Neesmith has fallen prey to that, honestly. I thought Moody was impressive in the little time that they threw him out there. It seems like he was somebody that seemed to be able to adjust to the speed of stuff. So if you had to bet, um, big picture for this draft, who do you have for one, two, three right now? I the only two that I've wobbled on is the Paolo Chet order uh, that I over the course of this since like January. I'm Chet one. I've actually kind of I've like dug in deeper on I'm Chet one even more firmly than I was before. Paolo two, Jabari three. Wow! And in the actual draft, it could go the the complete opposite way. Mm-hmm. It could Seems be Jabari like one, Chet two, Paolo three. Do you have Ivy? Some people are saying, like, Sam Vecini on uh, on The Athletic, he did his whole guide today, and he was saying he he felt like there were four potential real stars in this draft, and Ivy was one of them. Do you think he has that potential that we'll look back at this as a four-person draft, or no? Uh, it's very possible. I could see him passing. The thing about Ivy is he's really, he, obviously, an elite athlete. He has good size. He's smart. When he turns the corner on people, he can get so low. He has a kind of a Jalen Green-ish kind of a, an ability to get really, really low and turn the corner on people, but he's stronger. And then he can like power through contact. The thing is, are you, are you betting? How willing are you to bet on him as like a three-level score? Because that's what it's going to take for him to be a star uh, and to like dictate pace. Is he going to be the focal point of an offense? That's who he's going to have to become. I kind of think he's going to need to play next to... Uh, sort of like a full-time playmaking, deferring type player. I'm not sure about like centering a whole offense around him for that reason. Mm. But I mean, he's an he's an incredible player, man. If put in the situation where his strengths are like enabled to pop, you know, is he incredible enough that somebody in the eight to twelve range should be just putting together a bunch of assets to try to trade up to four? Like he could be a franchise star for you. I, was it the Pelicans that there was some chatter about them trying to maybe move up and take him? They, they certainly have enough picks. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I, that's that kind of speaks to what we're talking about here. If you're some, if you're a team that kind of has pieces in place that makes sense, and you have some like you have some stuff to move around and make a move, um, I think that there's a world where he could be. Uh, really, really put in a good situation like that. If you if you have an existing kind of offensive thing that sort of works and he could be your extra like downhill, he's going to be a monster in transition. I mean, he's going to be like a highlight machine with space. 
Purdue had a weird offense. You see this with like draft picks every year. Mm. They just had, they had two bigs that they played a lot. Uh, they had Zach Eady is just a massive, massive human being. I don't know if you've gotten to see him. Um, with more space, he's going to really pop in the NBA, in my opinion. All right, so after the top four, who's your pick to be the biggest star after the top four? If you had to bet on one person, who would you bet on? Uh, let's see. After that, in terms of like being like an offensive primary, I don't know if I have any guys that like this draft has a glut of players that are kind of no one is really popping. Like I said, Shaden has that type of talent. Yeah. Um, I could see Duran becoming he's young. I could see Duran becoming like a really valuable defensive piece uh, because he's Sharks and I were talking about on Upside High that's going to come out tomorrow, I believe. We were just talking about like three level defensive guys, people that can get out there like a Time Lord type player. Uh, who can guard, you know, all sorts of positions, really strong lob threat. I could see him becoming like a defensive superstar like that. I think, mm. I think Ty Ty Washington's value has been pushed down a little bit. I, <laughs> I know, I'm sure, you, I know you're grinning, but it's like the, the, like the Cal phenomenon, the thing that I've like been laughing about, I'm just like, we do this every year. Are we really going to do it again? This kid who is like a really fluid score and can pass the ball. He's kind of like, if you think about it, like guys playing in the finals, like Jordan Poole played in the finals. He was in a good defense that could protect him and in a scheme that could like pr- protect him. But Ty Ty is a guy that I think has a lot of offensive talent too. He's been underrated. We've learned to uh, to not underestimate the Kentucky guys who looked slightly lost in Cal, <laughs> in Cal offenses from time to time. There's been, there's Miss certainly been a slew of them. Um, yeah. All right, Kyle, we'll listen to you on Upside High tomorrow and uh, and I'm sure we'll be hearing from you on Thursday night. Thanks for coming on, as always. My pleasure. All right, we promised 10 burning questions heading into Thursday's draft. We have a special bonus question and a special bonus guest. Van Lathan is here, the world's preeminent WTF NBA expert that I know. Uh, the, (laughs) the, The Kyrie Irving situation is just getting weirder and weirder. He's putting out teams that he might want to play for is being reported, the Knicks, the Clippers, the Lakers, and the question remains, as always, would you want to be in business with this guy? So I come <sighs> to you. Kyrie, yeah. how does this go? Because we, we're now, this is pretty much five years of weirdness with him, dating back to the trade request in 2017. Would you want to be in business with this guy? Depends on the business. If the business is playing basketball, then probably not. Mm. So So, and I'll be honest with you. I have a lot of respect for Kyrie Irving. I have a lot of res- I am a weird person. I'm off-kilter. Bill, you know this. I am an off-kilter person. Um, I sometimes need the good old mental health break. Um, I sometimes get wrapped up into things that happen to in, in the news and have trouble focusing. Uh I understand that. I understand the human aspect of the human element of some of the things that Kyrie Irving has, has said that he has been going through and how they can affect you. Uh, so if you're talking to me right now and you're asking, hey, Van, would you want Kyrie Irving as an advocate for something that you're doing? Would you want Kyrie Irving as a, as a partner on social issues or anything like that? The absolute The answer is absolutely yes. I think that I would want that. He seems to be very outspoken. He seems to be very dedicated to learning and dedicated to uh, a 
dedicated to making change in society the way that he thinks it should be changed, right? And that seems to be very sincere. If I if we're talking about basketball, then no. And the only reason why is because you got to have people come to work. And and we got to keep it all the way gangster with this. Like the reality is that Kyrie Irving does not seem to be from the basketball perspective a net positive for your basketball franchise. And that's just the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is I'm not talking about whether or not Kyrie Irving is a net positive for society because you could still litigate that if you want. There are a lot of people who agree with him for his stance last year. There are a lot of people who agree with him on a great many things. But if we're talking about as a basketball owner dude paying upwards of $150, $200, $250 million to somebody, is that going to make you better and get you closer to an NBA championship? Forget about the NBA championship. Forget about that because that's the the highest level of the of uh of the sport. That's the highest level of sports winning the NBA championship. Forget about that. Yeah, is Kyrie Irving going to make your team a more attractive, watchable entity? Probably not. I mean, the reality is like. If you if you go over the track record, probably not. He's probably going to bring, from what we've seen on the court, a lot of distraction and a, and exactly the type of talk and the type of discussion that a functioning organization doesn't want. So, I mean, as much as people, you know, as much as it, because I, I I think the guy is a a cool dude and an interesting guy. He's very interesting, but no, the answer is no. It was interesting to hear the Nets talk about him at the end of the season press conference after when Sean Marks was basically saying, we want we want to find people going forward who will put the team above themselves. Yeah. And that's the issue, I think, with Kyrie is he carries himself more like he's a tennis player or a golfer. Right. Like that his, the way he behaves, him missing games, whatever's going on, him having a weird press conference. I've been making this point for three, four years. Every time when you're one of the best players on the team or the best player, that stuff has ramifications. Every time you do something that's a little off the beaten path, that's why everybody loves Steph. Steph's like just, he's like this boat that just goes straight ahead and you know what you're getting and he just wants to be on a good team. He's not going to tell the front office what to do. He's the most kind of weirdly reliable star we have. He's just the greatest shooter and that's who he is. And that calmness, I think, really helps with the team. And Kyrie is the opposite. Kyrie is, he's the boat in sleeping with the enemy. It's its all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I didn't think it was going to rain today. Oh my God, I'm holding on for my life. I might Now I might get knocked overboard. And I just think teams see that and they're like, do we want to be in business with this? Well, look, you're looking at like what seems to be, you're looking at what seems to be like, um, clashing sort of perspectives, right? What people want, what fans want, and what organizations want, they want players that have a just burning desire to be the best. Just a burning desire to be the best. And not just a burning desire to be the best, but a burning desire to prove it. What you want essentially out of an athlete is an athlete that would hate to win by forfeit. You want somebody that wants to go out there and say to everyone, I'm the best and I can prove it every single time. And sometimes that irrationality, right? Like you talk about Kobe, the mama mentality, whatever, whatever is in front of me that even has a shred or an inkling that I am not the best basketball player on the court, I must destroy. 
right? The first thing you got to be is like available to do that. You have to be there. There's a, 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 a bunch of a bunch of other things you have to do. I remember reading this article about Kobe. As soon as he would come off the court, he would start icing everything. And his whole body was about the next game. His entire body, say what you want about Kobe Bryant, his entire life was about the next second, the next minute on the basketball court. I'm going to ice everything. I'm going to go right into treatment, and I'm going to come back, give it all for 48 minutes, and then do it over and over and over again until my body physically says, Kobe, you can't anymore. Like, you, you can't do it anymore, right? You don't have an Achilles anymore. You can't do it anymore. Um, And that's... That's the baseline for greatness. The baseline for real, for reliability is not putting the team above you, putting the team even on equal like footing as you. Kyrie, the team is beneath him, it seems like sometimes. When yeah, he's talk, like angry to be an employee of a team. Yeah, it's like not, I'm not even talking about, if you can't put the team above you, that's fine. There are a lot of players in the NBA who aren't, aren't willing to do that, right? Those guys typically don't win a lot, but a lot of guys are, I'm going to get out there, I'm going to spend a little bit, get my money, get out. It seems like with Kyrie, the team is beneath him. Like he, they're paying him a lot of money, and <laughs> he's annoyed that he's being asked to play basketball. My brother, that's your job. So, it, it, as much as it well, pains, he's also he's annoyed by the infrastructure that comes with being a basketball star too. Dealing with the press, dealing with people that make money off of talking about him, dealing with the fans who feel like they can yell at him at games because they paid for a ticket. All of that stuff he seems burned out about too, which I don't think is a good sign for his long-term viability as a star. So look, I, I am completely on board with everyone that says, hey, let Kyrie be Kyrie. But the reality is we live in a world and the world that we live in, everybody has to deal with consequences of the decisions that they make. And one of the consequences for Kyrie Irving right now is no one thinks they can count on him. And that's fair. That's fair. That is a completely fair assessment. I don't see how you could look at what's going on the last couple of years and have any uh, and come to any other determination. Like you, it doesn't seem like you can count on him. It seems like as the wind blows, so will Kyrie Irving. So it's just it's well, nice. and the people that are probably entertaining even the possibility of going back into business with him are people who are desperate. Like I'm sure the Lakers would be happy to get into business with Kyrie Irving if they get rid of Westbrook and throw some picks and whatever, but they're also desperate. They don't really have any chess moves left. But if you're like, if you're like, uh, I don't know, Dallas. And can't do it. I, I'd, I'd always talked about the double sign and trade with Brunson for Kyrie. But then ultimately, if that doesn't work, I've now squandered a year, two years, whatever of Luka. And now I'm kicking myself. Dallas can't do it. The only reason why, if you're the Lakers, it seems like obviously and everyone knows this, anyone who's paying attention, the last time Kyrie was uh, with LeBron James, there seemed to be enough of a foundation and enough of a system and a big enough leader there to where he was, uh, like, in, in some way, a contributing basketball player. He's under control. I don't want to say it like that. Under he's a No, but he could, he could float in and out of situations. He could yeah. take a game off and it was okay, and then he could come back in and put up 45 on whoever. And it's like, oh, there's Kyrie. And go nuts, right? And hit one of the biggest shots in, in the NBA of last decade, right? Uh, when 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 he when he sunk that jumper against Golden State. So that might be a situation where people go, if LeBron's here, maybe Kyrie will be okay. A, a situation like Dallas, you can't do that. What you have are young, impressionable stars 
who actually need vets that are going to show them how to be professionals. And the last guy right now, as talented as he is, as amazing as he is, the last player in the NBA, the last player in the NBA that you will want teaching a younger player how to be a pro right now is Kyrie. I'm not saying he doesn't do everything that he can to get his body ready. I'm not saying he doesn't work on his craft. He does. But you have to show up to work and care about people other than yourself. And he's just not doing that right now. So how did Zook play out? Where is he next year? What I have no clue. I've thought about this so much, man. Um, I think he's on Brooklyn. He, I think he that's might... how this plays out. It's they kind of stare at each other and he does. He opts in for one year. And, you know, that's how it goes. I can think no, of one, nobody's happy with it. I can think of one team more desperate than the Lakers that might move heaven and earth to get them, and that's the Knicks. And I, 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 I could see the Knicks making a situation to where he's ended up. That's where he really wanted to be. He's from the area. I could see the Knicks really dipping their toe in the water. And wouldn't it be a very Nickish thing to do? <laughs> It would be the Nixiest Knicks thing they've ever done. <laughs> I don't think they're going to do it, but it it really right. would be. It would be, and their fans within, I can't blame them. They haven't won a title since 73, and you talk yourself into stuff. Within 48 hours, I think they would talk to, I don't think they, fans would revolt, especially if the price, as long as they didn't give away any of their assets. But Last question for yeah. you then. Yeah. If, if, if Kyrie Irving plays for Brooklyn next year, What's the amount of games he needs to play in the regular season for Brooklyn to be a real threat? He has to play the whole season. It can't. Well, he's not be... gonna play eighty-two games. He's never played eighty-two games. I'm saying, like, so, so what? I, like a, a sixty-five to seventy, off and on, sixty-five like to seventy, and then healthy for the playoffs. Yeah, I think it has to be something like that. I think part of the problem with him is he was kind of getting rewarded for not playing. Like he had that Orlando game when he kicked their ass and there was like Kyrie, he might be the most talented player in the league. So he's getting like positive affirmation for the fact that he decided to show up once in a week and destroy one of the worst teams in the league. In the Celtics series, when push came to shove and he was awesome in the first game and as Look, that series went along in the first game and his series went along was terrible and was a defensive liability and kind of shrank from the moment. And, you know, if he didn't, He's a good example of like how one moment can completely change somebody's career. And in the, that case, it should have. He made the biggest shot in 2016 finals. But he's also been dining on that shot now for six years. And that's a fact. So, you know, in the 2017 playoffs, he was good too. But I would, I personally, my vote would be no thanks. Unless I'm just giving up a bunch of crap. You know, yeah. if I'm giving up like two role players and I'm just swapping salary to roll the dice on them, that's what I would do. All right, Van Lathrop, I'm glad we talked it out. Good to see you. Listen to Van on Higher Learning and on the Ringerverse podcast as well. Good to see you as always. Peace. All right, that's it for part two. Thanks to Chris and House and Rob and Kyle and Sirit and Van. Thanks to Kyle Creighton for producing. Thanks to Dylan Berkey and Steve Cerruti as well. I will see you on Thursday night. Not sure what the plan is yet. If there are some massive trades we could be going multi-part on Thursday. If not, we will definitely be hustling to get one up right after the lottery on Thursday night. I will see you then. Enjoy the rest of the day. I wanna see them on a waste of